0: From local to global, we bring you the best conversations with your favorite athletes and Olympians.
1: This is the Olympics.com podcast. Welcome to the Olympics.com podcast. Tom here with you again. And as Olympic qualifications continue worldwide, this episode is rugby related. So we can tell you that New Zealand, Australia, USA, Ireland and France have all qualified for Paris 2024. Of course, France is in as host. Therefore, if you add it up, five of the 12 Olympic spots are filled now for Olympic Rugby Sevens in Paris. Way to go to all and continue to battle for the seven other teams that want to get there. Of course, we salute all past, present, and possibly future Olympians who dream, put in the work, and ultimately become Olympians for life. Also, there's another path and praise for those who compete at the highest level, with Olympics on their mind but fall short of their ultimate goal. As founder of the modern Olympics, Pierre de Coubertin famously said, the important thing in life is not the triumph but the fight. The essential thing is not to have won but to have fought well. Which brings us to this episode's guest, Zainab Balema, born in the UK of Ghanaian parents, born at 26 weeks, premature. She's been fighting all her life, literally battling bullies in school in her early teens, then fell in love with the intricacies of rugby, the physicality, the teamwork, and the zen of guided competitive struggles. Rugby is
2: that tool, that vehicle to allow me to influence other people. And it's a sport as well. Sport, as we know, has the power to, to just unite people.
1: Her struggles at birth created a bond with nursing. She studied hard and is now a neonatal nurse. Lemma also has three young children juggling work at home and the hospital, then enter her labor of love rugby. It remains a primary passion, and she's carried that into a career at various levels of English rugby. Now for her dream, pushing hard to become the first black Muslim woman to play for the English national rugby team.
2: I guess you can call it manifestation to put what you want out there. Because I thought the world has a funny way of working where actually when you put something out there and you work and you really want it, then magic can happen.
1: For the whole fascinating story, here's our Olympic Channel producer, Evelyn Wata, with Zainab Alema, with some help from her three-year-old daughter from time to time.
0: You're listening to Olympics.com podcast.
1: So
2: I born and bred in London, West London. Um, I grew up uh, quite a big household. So I one of six girls. Um, no boys, and except for my dad, was the only like man in the house. Uh, so we grew up like really nice, loving family. Um, we used to steal each other's clothes, like me and my sisters. So we, one would we'll be wearing one's top one day, the next one we went wearing someone else's child is the next day. So it was quite, my memories are really fond. I have fond childhood memories. Um, we used to, as soon as we get home, drop our bags from school and go straight out to the park to
0: play. So, what are your early memories of Ghana?
2: Yeah, I had good memories. I did spend some time in Ghana, so I'm of Ghanaian heritage. Um, so, I spent about I want to say about two years in Ghana, um, as a child. Yeah. I went to school in Ghana, like a primary nursery, primary school. Um, and yeah, I would just, my mum used to tell me that I just loved it. I absolutely loved Ghana and I stayed with my grandma and my family there and I just loved Ghana, but I came up to the UK and just continued to sort of, And I've never really gone back to live since it's just been gone for holidays every now and again. Um, I think out of my siblings, I'd say I was probably the quiet one. Um, So my siblings were very, like, more outgoing, more, like, talkative and not shy. I was usually a bit more reserved, I'd say. But I think as time went on, I came out of my shell a bit more. And I think sport allowed me to do that. So it helped me to come out of my shell and just gain confidence within... Uh, myself. Tell us a bit about your premature birth. What a start? Mm. I was born at uh, 26 weeks. So I was born early um, and I stayed in hospital for some time just to sort of like grow and to be strong enough to leave. Um, And I think neonatal medicine was very, not as good as it is or advanced as it is now. So what, 30 years ago, a 26-weeker would have, you know, Probably not survived, but because um, I was actually a good weight for my gestation. So I was a good weight, so that helped a lot. I weighed um, 2.2 pounds, so just about a kilo. uh, For a 26-weeker, that's decent. Um, And so I went to... So my mother used to tell me about stories about, you know, are the nurses and doctors used to look after me and how I was, um, you know, I was a fighter and, you know, et cetera. So that experience is what led me to nursing because I was like, oh no, I need to like give back to those that kept me alive because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today. So from a very young age, I knew I wanted to go into nursing, but specifically neonatal nursing because of, you know, my my story. So um, I just sort of, when I went to school, I did all the courses that allowed me to, to you know, become a nurse. And when I finally became a neonatal nurse, like it was absolute dream come true because it's something that I wanted to achieve. Um, um, so yeah, that's a bit about that nursing. But in terms of the rugby and the sport, so I um I was I was out as a sporty kid. I loved sports in school. Um, I remember primary school. I was one of the fastest girls in my year, um, and I ended up going to like um, I think it was like Borough Championships and to run the hundred meters. And although I was the fastest in my class, when I went on to <laughs> the Borough Champions, I came like, I came last, totally (laughs) last. (laughs) That was a humbling experience for me. So you grew into sports in secondary school? We did like netball, basketball, um, tennis. But in terms of rugby, it wasn't part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, especially for girls. Like we did not have rugby girls. But actually my my PE teacher at the time was really like, loved rugby so she decided to bring some balls in and said you know what we're going to do rugby today and that was my first encounter of rugby um yeah and I just fell in love with it the moment I sort of it sounds cliche but holding the ball and running I was like oh this sport is amazing and I love the physicality of it um and I, I would say like I was probably like a physical uh teenager because I used to sort of like um not that I didn't used to instigate things, but a lot of boys used to pick on me for some reason. I don't know what it was, but boys used to always try to get a reaction out of me. And um, I think at that time, you know, what, 13, 12, 13, 14, um, I'd have to, you know, defend myself and stick up for myself. So I used to get into a lot of fights with boys. And, um, but I was very studious and very academic. And, you know, my teachers always knew that it wasn't sort of, me start, I wasn't a troublemaker. It was just that boys used to just try and pick up me. and uh, So, yeah, so that physicality was just there from, from from you know, teenage years. And I used to get called a beast. I used to be referred to as a beast in school, which is not really nice, I guess, body mm. images. So, You're body really, you know, for a teenager whose, you know, body images was, obviously it's a big thing at that age. So to be called a beast is a bit like it's not something nice. But um, it's something that I never really... I don't think I internalised it, but I I didn't really care basically. But it's funny because actually now, if you call me a beast, I love it because, you know, that's the nature of a a rugby player being called a beast. That's the the most, the best compliment you can ever give a rugby player. So it's nice how it's turned out that, you know, I then became a rugby player. Um, So, yeah, so when I went to, so in terms of the PE session, so that was my first encounter at 14. um, But I did a, PE A level, so I went to uh, I did A levels in physical education and uh, philosophy and ethics and psychology, and when I did my physical education um, A level, I needed to do a physical element to my my pract- my um, I needed to do a coursework to my thing. So she was like, okay, what sport do you want to do? And I was like, do you know what, miss? I want to do rugby because I remember when I was 14 and that P teacher um, introduced rugby, I loved it. I want to do rugby. She was like, okay, we don't have rugby in school, but what we can do is we need to go to the head teacher and ask him for permission. So she went to the head teacher and they paid for me for a season to play at uh, one of the clubs, which was Ealing in West London. And she took me down in her car um, to have my first training session and to meet the team and it was amazing so i think for me it was really big those two women really set like i feel like they were the reason why my life has turned outless like in terms of the rugby because they introduced me to it and the second p teacher my a-level p teacher she went out of her way she went out of her way to get me into a club and then that was that was it. So I owe a lot to them, to be honest with you. And the fact that they were women as well, I think, speaks a lot because oh, right. it's, a male, it's a male-dominated sport. And for women to be the advocate and to, to be sort of my introduction to the sport, I think, yeah, it's great. So I always, you know, I'm still in touch with them now and they see what I'm doing and everything like that. And, yeah, like... I always speak highly of them because if it wasn't for them, like my life would be totally different. Um, So I went to, so I had a year in that that, um, club. So I played under 18 for a year. When I turned 18, I went to university to study my nursing degree. Um, But alongside my nursing degree, I joined the rugby team because I, yeah, you know, I loved rugby. So I was like, I need to join a team at university, but I was very scared because I thought, I don't know what they're going to think of me. And I think a lot of the time I was, Initially, I wasn't. I didn't notice it, but I noticed it when I went to university. I was like, wait, I'm the only Muslim girl on my team. I'm the only black girl on my team. I'm different. You know, it started to be more apparent that I was different within rugby. And before then, I was just playing for fun. But when I was entered university, I was like, oh, my God, like I really am different. And things like, you know, me not drinking, you know, because of my faith, I don't drink alcohol. So <laughs> rugby is very, you know, we they it's love our drinking. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's how they celebrate. You know, yeah, so so for me coming into that space, it was very awkward. I, I didn't know how to behave, I didn't know how to navigate myself within space. On top of that you know, clothing, so wearing a headscarf, and covering my arms and all that kind of stuff, I just I was different and I'm like, I don't know how to, <laughs> How? what do I do? Who do I ask? Who do I ask if I want you know, to wear a certain headscarf, like a sports hijab, which I didn't really know existed at that time, like, who do I ask those questions to? So I was trying to Find my own way, you know, because I didn't see any role models or anyone that represented me uh, mm. being a woman. Um, and I used to avoid going to the socials. So I they used to, because if you think about it, university mm. already, a lot of people, um you know, they just mm. come out from from home, so they go out, have the best time of their life, clubbing, drinking, etc. So that's university, and then you have the rugby culture. And it it was just very overwhelming, and I never used to attend my socials. So, because everything was let's go clubbing and drink, Mm -hmm. let's go to a bar and drink. So I was like, I'm not. That's not my lifestyle. So I really stayed away from that. But when I look back at it, it kind of it's a bit upsetting because it's like rugby is a sport in which like camaraderie is so big. You know, Mm -hmm. it's part of a team family. The bonding you do off the pitch. Um, translate to, you know, good play on the pitch. So I was missing out on that off-the-pitch bonding because I wasn't drinking.
0: Wow, that must have been tricky because rugby can be a lot about alcohol.
2: So I needed to find a way to still bond with my teammates without the alcohol, which was hard in university. But they never made me feel bad. Like, they always invited me, but I just didn't want to put myself in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And India, so we used to have this thing called um, play of the match, so... If you play really well, then the opposition chooses you, you know, who played in that team really well. And uh, I used to get that nomination quite a bit in, in university, but that would mean I would have to down a pint of, of exactly. alcohol. Yeah. So I used to get that a lot. And then it's w- what would happen, I'd, you know, get up and then I'd be like, well, I can't drink this. And then I have to nominate someone else to drink it. And sometimes they don't want to drink. It, and it's That's just a boring. Bit, you know, and it, it yeah. just became a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing that I had to it's kind of like me the, the the act of me standing in front of everyone and denying a pint in a in a in a space where it was so normal felt very alien to me and it felt very made me feel awkward. Um but in the end, uh, sort of my last uh year of playing I became a bit more confident in my identity and actually one of the girls when I won the when I won that towards the end of my playing career at Union. They got me on an alcoholic drink. Wow! So I was able to join in, um, with you know the fun, but not compromise my values. So that was really nice, and it's something that I remember to this day because it was such a nice gesture. And how did your dad handle that his girl
0: was playing what is perceived to be a man sport?
2: I mean, my dad was was said he is a man sport. He said, you know, rugby is a man sport. Uh, rugby is an elite sport. Why do you want to play rugby? Um, why don't you go and play tennis? And I'm not, I'm not interested in tennis. But when I look back, I think the reason why he said that was because of Serena. Oh. Because there wasn't that representation in rugby, you know. Uh, but Serena Williams, um, obviously a global superstar playing, playing tennis. He thought, oh, okay. And it's probably, it's non-contact, so he thought a bit safer. But I wasn't interested in tennis. Uh, but he never said no. He just didn't understand why his Muslim daughter wanted to play rugby. Um, so in the end, um, yeah, I just continued playing. Uh, my mum was more like, oh, I don't want you to get injured, but she didn't mind. She just like be careful kind of thing. Um, but now he tells everyone. <laughs> now he's like, yeah, my daughter plays rugby. He's really proud actually now. And I just, when I sit and look at him, I'm thinking like, this is so funny because I remember when I first started, he was not really on it. But I think it shows that he knew that the passion that I had for it and the fact that I stuck with it and I didn't compromise my my mm. value for it. I think he, yeah, he ended up being really proud, which is good. Um, mm. In terms of the outer community, someone like this, I guess maybe from the Muslim community, I feel like I've had a lot of positive... Um, obviously, you're always going to get somebody that's not going to be okay with what you're doing. But in terms of the from Ghanaian Muslim community, they're really supportive, you know. They're really, mm. uh, you know proud that I'm doing something that I like and it's kind of like I'm representing because I'm not doing this to represent my faith I'm doing it because I love it but I happen to be Muslim, so it just comes hand to hand hand in hand really um and then with the motherhood side of things so I got married so I I got married quite young so I got married after university uh so I was 21 when I got married and I remember when I was you know when I met my my then my now-husband, but it's my fiance and he was, like, he was interested, and I said, look, um, I was playing rugby before I met him, and I said, look, like, rugby's a big part of my life, and you need to understand that if if you're marrying me, rugby is going to be the third person in our relationship, like, that's just my non-negotiable, and I was like, do you, are you happy with that? And then he was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm happy, and I was like, okay, done deal, because that was, it was, it was, it was, when I think back at hey, it, it was so important for me to be with somebody that accepted me as a whole, not just, yeah, accepted my passion as well because I knew it was such a big part of my life or my identity almost that I, I, I would not, like, if he said no, I would be like, okay, sorry, I'm not interested. <laughs> it would have been that simple. But because he was like, yeah, like, you know, do you and, you know, um, that's fine. Is he an athlete? I mean, he used to play football, but he's not. I wouldn't call him an athlete. I mean, he's gone jogging now, but that's a fine. yeah. I <laughs> would, but I think, yeah, it was just important for me to to have mine in a non-negotiable, and the fact that he accepted that, I thought, okay, do you know what? It's yeah, that was a that was a green light for me. Okay, great. Among, amongst other things, obviously, but yeah, that was really important <laughs> for me. Um, okay, and then um. I had my first child at the age of two, so two years after I got married, had the first child, and that was that was a bit of a like it was a bit tough because I was like, okay, so I'm having a child now, so what am I going to do now after? Am I going to go back to rugby? But there was there was never a doubt in the my in my mind that I'd ever get back on the pitch. Like I'm like no matter how many kids I have, I'm getting back to rugby. You know, so I used to always ask my doctor so. When can I get back? What kind of things do I need to do to get back in the pit? So it was very much something that I knew it was going to happen. Um, And I kind of felt like with motherhood, um, sometimes it would consume me in a sense that, like, you know, you're looking after these young, tiny humans and, you know, they rely on you wholeheartedly. Like, you have to change them, feed them, everything of your being is focused on them. As a mother, I get that. And it got to a point where I kind of felt like I was losing myself as a person, like my identity. I was, sometimes I think, like, I don't even know who I am anymore because I'm just stuck in that motherhood zone. I'm almost living for someone else and not myself, which obviously comes past and past of being a mother. But I think it I didn't expect that to happen, to, to feel like that. Um, but rugby was that thing that gave me my identity back. So as long as I was still playing rugby and involved in rugby, I'm like, okay, yes, I'm a mum, but I'm also a rugby player. And that's part of me. And that gave me that sense of control back. Describe your birthing experiences, you know, your deliveries. The first one was complicated, very complicated. I lost blood, but also she got stuck in my pelvis. So she had a shoulder, something that's called a shoulder dysthetia. And and something we still affected by now because she had to have surgery on her left arm. We're still doing physio up to now. So that was traumatic. The my second um birth was perfect. But like it was the boy. I don't know, the girls like to make an entrance, but the boy, he was perfect. Perfect delivery, perfect pregnancy, everything was fine. Uh but yeah the first was, was tough. And then um the third also was tough. I remember my third child, so this one this one that's in on the call, she um so after I had her I went back to playing, so I, two weeks, she had, I, had, I had a quite a traumatic delivery with her, so I lost a lot of blood, and I had to go back into the theatres to be put under general anaesthetic, oh, and they had to try and stop the bleeding, because I was bleeding a lot, and um, so it was quite a traumatic delivery, and yeah, I just remember before they put me to sleep, I was like, I'm like, is this it for me? Like, am I gonna die or am I gonna feel like you know we've got you? Spine, but I was really scared. It was my first time i ever been under general anesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so eight weeks after that, my third child, I was still feeling that sort of oh sense of losing myself. And I was like, Do you know what, I'm gonna get my identity back. <laughs> and and I mean, when I look back, it probably wasn't the best decision, but I signed up to go to county trials. What? So- you know like the best of the best in the whole county it's middlesex county competing to get in the county squad and i we just obviously eight weeks ago had a baby and a traumatic birth as well and i just thought i'm
0: I'm gonna go so then you went back to training eight weeks after so i went
2: to county Charles in a car i put her in a car seat and I went to County Charles. I got one of my sisters to come with me, one of my younger sisters. And I went and <laughs> I could just see the faces of some of the players. are like, what the hell is that? Why is there a baby in the changing room? <laughs> and she was only like two months old. And I could see people just thinking, what is going on here? Like, Whose baby is this? Um, but I didn't care. So I, maybe I I fed her, breastfed her just before. So I thought, okay, I can do my session after I'll give her another feed. And we started the warm up. And before we even finished the warm-up, I was like, no, nah, I can't even do this. My body was not ready at all. I was mm-hmm. unfit. I was, you know, I was out of breath from even the warm-up. So I'm like, how the hell am I going to survive the whole of it? And every, you have to remember, because it's Clancy Charles, everybody's going at 100 That's miles true. per hour. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to try and get into the squad. And I'm just here, like, I'm unfit. My body, my, my pelvis was probably wasn't even intact at this point. Um but anyway, it was an experience and a half. And I didn't get into the squad, which, although obviously I had a disadvantage, but I was still upset. I was still like, upset that I didn't get in because, yeah, <laughs> I was just upset. Um, so, yeah, that was an experience. And looking back, it probably wasn't the best decision. I probably should have just been patient and waited. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, it was a good experience in the sense that it, it sort of taught me, like, okay, this is where I need to be if I want to get into the squad. Mm-hmm. Um yeah and then I tried again the following season, and I got in, so that was really nice to to know that this is where I am where I was before and and the coaches said to me like you're a totally different player, and you know they were happy that i- I tried again and you know i played for I played for a season and it was it was just amazing and yeah, I was so happy that i i, I tried again
0: um and um, yeah. something that you know it's interesting listening to you you know. Talking about your identity as a mother as well and someone, mm-hmm. as a career woman, do you ever feel guilty when you have to, like, leave home and, you know, mm. Now like, for me coming to the office, sometimes I feel like, okay, so mm-hmm. this is your priority. You feel like you're leaving the mm-hmm. kids home or even you're leaving them to go play or even yeah. travel as you recently did in Istanbul.
2: Yeah. Um, if I'm honest with you, I, I don't feel guilty because... Wow. Um, The reason why is because I always feel like I can't pull from an empty cup. And actually the Istanbul trip was actually for me to get a break from just my normal motherhood life and rugby life. And you found energy from that freedom, right, Zainab? I kind of felt like, if I'm not not taking care of myself, how can I take care of my kids? If that makes sense. So it's been a long time that I needed a break, and the like going to Istanbul, especially alone, was just oh, it was amazing. It was so uh, only a week, uh, and it felt like yeah, I was there for two days. The time went so quickly, but I really enjoyed just being having time to myself, not having to you know lie in bed for maybe an extra hour, not having to get up because I'm woken up by by my kids or think about, oh, what am I going to cook today? Like, it was just free. I was free. I was by myself. I was chilling. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, yeah, going back to sort of the guilt thing, the reason why I don't feel good too, I just feel like, in the grand scheme of things, I feel like I'm I'm doing it for them because, like I said, I can't pull them into cup. I need to make sure I'm good physically and mentally in order to take care of them and to, to you know, to be the best mother I can. So if I'm rugby does that for me and the things that I do outside of my motherhood does that for me so if I'm not doing that if anything I'm I'm not being fair to my children so um yeah it's just important for me to to do other things as well. and actually I feel like I'm hoping what I hope to do is I'm teaching them that they can wear multiple hats as well like if they decide to be Mothers and fathers, they don't have to just, that doesn't have to be their sole identity. They can do other things as well. So I'm hopefully yes. leading an example for them and to show that they can actually do other things as well.
0: And how do you just balance, you know, mother, you know, the mother of three? I have one mm-hmm. son and I feel like mm-hmm. I have ten. <laughs> and then you're a rugby player and you're also a nurse. Yeah. So how do you balance? All, you're, a, you know, I'm sure you're a sister. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance yeah. all
2: this? It's not easy. I can't lie to you. It's not easy. But I am like, um, my faith helps me a lot in the sense that like, you know, I know that life is never easy. (laughs) Life there's always going to be something that comes along and that's going to be difficult, but you just got to be patient. And um, the patience for me is like weathering the storm and knowing that actually there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel because it's not always although it's tough it's not always tough you've got some Mm -hmm. nice moments where it's like oh you know you're really enjoying your time with your kids or you're really enjoying a game with your teammates so there's spots of although there's challenges there's spots of really um, empowering and lovely moments in life which I feel like just need to cherish that a bit more so the balance for me is quite I actually quite I, I don't know if I'll say I enjoy it but I'm not too bothered by it because I know life is not linear. You're going to get peaks and troughs. So it's just a part of life, really. And the rugby, for me, helps me with the other stuff. So if I'm feeling stressed, maybe... With the kids, or with, or when I was nursing, then um, the rugby, I could express myself in the field and release that energy and release those stresses. So it kind of it was a nice balance. And I remember people used to ask me, "How can you be a nurse and be a rugby player? Like, mm-hmm. how? I don't go around tackling the babies, but um, there's a lot of similarities, I think, mm-hmm. because you. It's just the passion. Like I was telling you about my journey to nursing and I had the passion to be a nurse. And I feel like with rugby, you need to have the passion because you have to remember, you're getting knocked off your feet like for 80 minutes. You're running, you're tackling, you're doing all these things. If you don't love it, there's no way you're going to survive. So the passion is, you know, and actually the values of rugby, respect, discipline. You know, I feel like in the nursing industry, you have to be respectful, you know, to the people, you know, the care you're giving to your patient and to their families. Um, you have to have discipline in like, you know, just like time management, knowing how to have your caseload and how to manage your time and your breaks, et cetera. So there are a lot of transferable skills, although on, you know, at face value, you don't feel like, oh, how does it connect? But there's actually a lot of um, connection. and There's that compassion as well, you know, like... Although we, we brutally go at each other on the pitch, when you're off the pitch, you're just, everyone, you know, will buy someone a drink. You're just friends again, even though you're you know, you're in opposition on the pitch. So there's definitely a lot of, and just work, working as part of the team in the NHS um, and in nursing and the same, you work with quite a team in, in, in the rugby. So there's actually a lot of crossovers um, that people probably don't really think of initially. But I think both things have helped me in different ways. So you packed nothing to chase your dream in rugby? Mm-hmm. So I this has been about two years now. Um, so I would say in the height or towards the end of the height of the pandemic, Pandemic. so I was working and uh, like the things that I've seen at work. So for example, and just a small example is that I was looking after a premature baby. I think the baby was about 30-something weeks premature. and. Um, the baby had to be born. The reason why the baby premature had to be born by C section because the mother had COVID, and because the mother had COVID, uh, she couldn't cope with the pregnancy anymore. So she, the baby had to be born, and she was end up being ventilated um, in the ward upstairs because above us we had adult ICU, and I was looking after this baby, and it's like we didn't even know whether or not the mum will make it by the end of shift. You know, these are the kind of things that I was I was dealing with, and it made me really think about my life and think about how short life is and how precious life is and how the next second you don't know what's going to happen. And it, it just made me think like there was more to life. I felt, I kind of felt like there was, there was more to life or there's more that I could do in life than the nursing. Although again, it was my passion, but I just felt those rugby was going really well for me at that time. Not necessarily the playing, but the 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 influence I felt like I was making in rugby was getting bigger and I think that was around the time I won the grassroots Sportsman of the year award by Sunday yeah. time. And knowing, and seeing the impact it was having on people and people were like, oh, they're really inspired by me, so etc. So I just thought, there's something more for me in the rugby space. And because I've been doing it for a while and it was my passion, I was like, I need to give that time. I need to give sort of my rugby passion time. And nursing, I knew always, nursing will always be there. I've got a degree under my belt. So even if I decided to t- Go back tomorrow I can do that so I'm like why don't you just take the leap of faith and jump into your passion and see where it takes you and um I just I just want to make the decision to embark on a journey to become uh the first black Muslim women to play for England um wow. I mean there have been black players already but Muslim players um there hasn't been any Muslim women that play for for England um so I said you know what I'm going to follow that and see what it takes me and I think um I just—it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life, but like, it was so hard because I'm like I'm stepping into unknown. And actually, in rugby, you're not professional until you reach the top. So mm-hmm. I'm not getting—I'm not getting paid to play rugby at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas as a nursing, it nursing was was my comfort zone. It was stability. It was I'll go to work, do my twelve-hour shift, I know what I'm doing, etc. I have been doing it for eight years. I know at the end of the month I'm going to get money. But with rugby, it's like. You, there's no money in it really, like unless you reached England. And I was playing at NC1, which is the lower league. But I was like, this is my passion. I'm just going to jump and see what happens. So I did touch took the jump and I don't regret it at all. Like my life is just, I feel so much more happier, so much more content. And knowing the amount of people I can influence and impact now is just through my passion I just love that. And I always say that for me, the true essence of life is if you've given, if, you're, if you've are you got a gift, or you've got a talent that you enjoy and you're good at, and you're able to use that to help other people. For me, that is just life for me. Like you've mm. got the absolute meaning and purpose of life. If you're able to use some talent or something that you have, and you can help other people. And I feel like that's what rugby is for me. Rugby is... Give him is that tool, that vehicle to allow me to Im- influence other people, and I think the fact that it's um, it's a sport as well. Sport, as we know, has a power to, to just unite people and you know to bring people together. So yeah, I think I'm grateful that rugby is is that for me, and I'm able to sh- share it with other people. Really,
0: I believe in England, it's still very much a white dominated sport.
2: Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm, I know I'm unique. And uh, the good thing about that, when you're unique, people want to ooh, be interested, they're curious, they want to know about you, they want to know about your story. So I feel like, and you know what is so funny is because I remember, I'm just going back here, but I remember when I was about 12, I had a conversation with a guy. He was like, oh, I feel sorry for you, man. You're the bottom, bottom pile of society. You're black, you're Muslim, and you're a woman. Like, like good luck out there, you know? And... He was Muslim, he was a black Muslim boy himself. But for him to say that at that age, like that's quite telling and it's quite a powerful thing to say. Mm-hmm. But when I look back, I'm thinking, well, that's I'm using that I don't see it as a negative, I see it as a as a superpower almost. Because actually, if I was white, people wouldn't really be in I don't think people would I'll just be I'll just blend in basically. Mm-hmm. But because I'm not that's actually an advantage I see it, so that's how I look at it and um yeah it's it hasn't been easy, but I feel like the it's been more about me and me projecting those feelings onto myself rather than other people. so when mm-hmm. I step into the rugby space, people are always quite curious and they look at me' like who's this you know she's wearing a scarf she's wearing a scarf. I look different, but i haven't I don't think I've faced any sort of outright racism I wouldn't say people are just a bit more intrigued and interested I mean actually the club that I'm at currently at Richmond is actually the most diverse club I've been at we've got a black coach we've got several black and ethnic minority players and Long gone are the days where I was the only black person to play. Like I look left and right in my team and I'm definitely not the only one. So that for me means that things are changing. And that's a
0: good thing, standing up and standing out.
2: Oh, I absolutely still stand out. And I feel like that motivates me to play best because I'm like, if I miss a tackle or I drop a ball, people are going to be more focused <laughs> on me because yeah. I'm different. So it forces me to, every time I step in a pitch, I have to play my best because I know that I, I stick out. So it's a good thing, I guess. Um, but with this sort of dream to play for England, like some people do ask me, like, do you not feel pressured? Like, you know, because you because mm. I I put it out there, you know, I've told the world that it's what I want to do, and it's like, okay, you have to be accountable now. But for me the reason why I'm doing it is because I want people to be inspired and to feel like they can also achieve their goals and it doesn't have to be anything within rugby or even within sport at all. It could be anything It's it's all sort of personal to, to the person. Um, but yeah, but actually in telling people, people have reached out and be like, do you know what, what can we do to help you? How can we support you on this journey? And actually if I kept that to myself, nobody, I wouldn't get the the help that I'm getting now. And I, I have, I really think that sometimes, it's powerful to tell, put what, I guess you can call it manifestation, to put what you want out there. Yes. Because I thought the world has a funny way of working where actually when you put something out there and you work and you really want it, then magic can happen and things does happen. Obviously, like I am a person of faith and I, I do obviously pray over it and I hope it can happen one day. But the, for me, it's the impact and the legacy is what I'm trying to create. So if some, I've had numerous messages of people telling me I'm I'm an inspiration to them, or they've ended up playing rugby because of me. And this is is what I wanted. This is exactly what I wanted. And the fact that I'm getting those responses now, and I'm not even halfway near where I want to go to, I feel like I'm already successful, if that makes sense. That's how I see it. And actually getting to the top of play for England would literally be the cherry on the top so at the moment I'm enjoying the actual desserts the cake or whatever it is and then the cherry on the top is is the England shirt but yeah I'm I'm yeah I'm happy living the enjoying the process and the journey so far
0: I can't wait for you together I really hope you get it <laughs> and, uh, you. the last two Olympics I don't know if you had a chance to watch girls play rugby at Rio 2016 and then mm-hmm. recently at Tokyo 2020, 20, Yeah. What do you think that did for the sport, you know, for the women's game?
2: Oh, a lot. Because I think um, in terms of like sevens, rugby is actually quite new to the Olympics. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's given um, a lot of the girls, or the women, uh, something to, to look forward to. Like I can actually become an Olympian in rugby, you know, so it's actually giving more, um, encouragement you know to to the grassroots um game and i think even not just olympics but also like the world cup as well mm-hmm. like um women's rugby in general is on the rise like it's skyrocketing the numbers are going through the roof we're having record-breaking crowds watching women's rugby right now and it's so exciting and like the only way is up you know we're getting more recognition obviously we need more investment and more funding um but looking at it from when I first started playing, I'm seeing people playing rugby on TV, whereas before it's like women's rugby wasn't even televised, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of um, uptake of the sport. There's been a bit more um, broadcast on sport. And I think, you know, when people say, oh, you, if you need to see it to be it, for example. So if people are not, people are actually seen on a the TV, they're like, okay, maybe I can do that. Um, and, Representation, like. Like I went, I said before, is so yes. important. Actually, yes. if you're having these massive tournaments like Olympics, World Cups, and you're seeing people that can relate to you, it doesn't even have to be by physically. Like maybe they're being a black woman, but let's say it's a woman that you know was from West London, just like you are. That already, that connection is huge. And be like, do you know what? She's she lived, she grew up down the road from me. So if and she's playing at Olympics, like if she can do it, I can do it. So. I think representation is is huge, yeah. and it, it's not always just about like the physical representation. Sometimes it's just about you know where the person came from, their upbringing, yeah. and how they navigate through life. Uh, so yeah, things like the Olympics, World Cups, etc., is huge in getting people more interested in the game and then hopefully more more participation in the game and growing the game a bit more. How do you feel about
0: your children playing rugby? Would it worry you? I
2: would say let them do it, um, and I think. As a parent, if I know my child, if I know something makes my child happy, I feel like I'll be more inclined to be like, okay, do it because, you know, I want you to be happy. You know, I think as a parent, your ultimate one is your child's happiness. And I think, like going back to my dad, he knew that I was happy, and knew it was my passion. And now he literally tells everybody that I play rugby. So wow. if your child is interested in something... Just hear them out, go and watch them, see how how happy it makes them and maybe you'll change your mind. And yeah, and in terms of sport and rugby, just go for it. And I think the idea of rugby being a man's sport, I just think it's just a bit crazy because um, <laughs> like if you think about things that women go through, like even just like things like menstruation and periods and cramps and childbirth and like we go, our body goes through yeah. a lot. So what, so what is rugby? <laughs> you know, on a, on just on a daily basis, our bodies go through a lot. And rug, what's rugby? You know, like rugby. Okay, you get tackled or whatnot. Like, if anything, rugby is a women's sport. <laughs> the one that walked across the screen. She's definitely. A, she she's probably out of all of them. I'd say she's probably. <laughs> the most rugby like. But my oldest did say that she she wants to be a rugby. She said, Mummy, I wanna be a rugby player like you. And um which is nice to hear. And she's watched me a few times. She watched me the other week and she's like I was like, so do you still want to play rugby? She's like oh but mommy I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> so yeah she the oldest she understands that I every time I get my coat and I'm going out, she said, Mummy, you're going to play rugby? I said no, I'm just going to buy milk <laughs> So she, she's aware that rugby is a big part of my life. Like anything I do, she'll be like, are oh, you going rugby? Are you going to play? Are you going to train? So she, I think at that age, although she's six, she really fully understands that, you know, rugby is is a big part of my life. You have an awesome nickname, the bulldozer. Yeah, uh, so I'll probably say uh, say something about that. So bulldozer um, is a construction equipment, yeah? You usually yeah. see on the building sites that smashes things, that demolishes things. And I feel like me being a a black Muslim woman within rugby, I'm smashing those stereotypes and breaking down those barriers. And if you look at at deeply, nobody expects a nurse to be playing rugby. Nobody expects a mother of three to be playing rugby. You know, nobody expects a career woman to be playing rugby, you know? So it's like I'm smashing these stereotypes as a bulldozer will smash uh, buildings on on the site. But it's not only that, the... The smashing and the demolishing of of stereotypes and status quo is necessary in order to pave a way for something new and bigger and better to happen. Just as a bulldozer a construction equipment, you know, you smash something and then you build the foundation of something new to build, you know, on top of that. So it's more than just a smashing, it's about the building and about the paving way for something bigger and, and better. So I'm hope I hope, you know. Being a bulldozer in a rugby space is, is, you know, inspiring and hopefully paving the way for others to then follow. It is. Yeah, that's it. And and anyone can be a bulldozer, you know. You can be a bulldozer. You've just got to to be brave, be bold and be yourself. It's really important to be yourself because nobody can be you better than you and that's what sets everyone apart. Like, don't try and follow the crowd or be like everyone else. Just be you um, and, you know, that's just the best way, really
1: this is the olympics.com podcast bulldozer in word and deed thanks Evelyn for your contribution and of course to Zainab for opening up to us her story is surely inspiring for all up and coming rugby players and really for all of us who've had to battle early in life to be heard and then chase our dreams since Zainab plays at mid levels of English rugby 15s there's really not much of a path to an Olympics but she has a realistic chance to achieve her dream of becoming the first black Muslim woman to ever play the English national team. And we certainly wish her well. We will be following Zainab Alama's story. So much more on rugby across our platforms right there for the clicking here on olympics.com. The Z-Team. Can a Scottish rugby legend turn around this Californian youth rugby team? The Z-Team. Can USA Rugby Coach Mike Friday transform India's U-17 female rugby team? Olympic Outposts, can Jamaica Rugby find cool running success on grass? Land of Legends, Asia-Pacific, how rugby transformed New Zealand into a sports powerhouse. Flag and Family, African roots and French pride bring strength to a Rugby Seven Star. Flag and Family, Japan's Rugby Seven Star left behind Fiji to represent Japan and sports swap rugby 7s versus wrestling with Sam Cross and Sophia Matson that's it for this episode of the olympics.com podcast hit us up at olympics with any feedback you might have we love feedback it helps us to get better you can also hit me up on my twitter at tk sports tweets see you next time olympics.com podcast, podcast.